0: This is Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Ornamental beading has a long tradition for Native Americans. Over the centuries, the art form has evolved depending on the available materials. That evolution continues as beading artists stretch traditional boundaries to chart a new path that is still quintessentially native. A traveling exhibit showcases the new direction of contemporary beading. We'll talk about that and the healing process of the craft coming up right after the news.
1: This is national native news i'm antonia gonzalez the alaska native community of tyonic is pushing back on its inclusion in a local planning group that makes decisions about land management but which they say formed
2: without their input riley board with kdll reports tyonic is a remote predominantly native community on the west side of alaska's cook inlet across the water from the state's population centers of Anchorage and the Kenai Peninsula. While the community falls under the purview of the Kenai Peninsula borough, it's culturally and geographically distant from the borough's other communities. That's one of the reasons residents are objecting to their inclusion in a new planning commission based on the other side of the inlet in the predominantly non-native community of Nikiski.
3: When somebody talks about that few of people... Determining that they'll have a, a huge voice in land planning for 3 million acres on the other side of the inlet. That just seems um,
4: inappropriate.
2: That's Stephen Piskoski, CEO of the Tyonic Native Corporation. He says the Planning Commission does not represent the residents of Tyonic and was formed without its knowledge by residents in Nikiski who wanted more of a voice in land management and permitting decisions. Proponents described Tyonek as, quote, Nikiski's backyard, where its residents hunt and vacation. Piskoski says that notion is offensive.
4: The villagers from
3: Tyonic and and some of our shareholders, they were highly offended by that because they don't see it as a vacation land. They see it as a land where they do their subsistence living and where they've been living for hundreds of years. It's not a vacation land in their eyes. It's their home.
2: Some members of the borough's governing body were sympathetic to Tyonic's concerns. But ultimately, the Assembly was split on whether to remove the community from the Planning Commission's boundaries. The Assembly will reconsider the plan at a meeting tomorrow, where Piskoski says Tionic residents are planning to turn out and testify. Dozens of Tionic residents and several Native entities have already submitted letters in support. For National Native News... I'm Riley Bored. Dr.
1: Boo Nigren has passed his first 30 days as president of the Navajo Nation, one of the largest tribes in the United States. President Nigren says he's already fulfilled one of his campaign promises by lifting COVID-19 restrictions, fully opening the Navajo Nation. The tribe was still under COVID-19 mandates when he took office in January.
0: We lift the mask mandate because I felt like it was about time all the surrounding communities have reopened. All the surrounding cities have reopened and we just took uh, precautionary and made it optional for people to wear a mask.
1: Nigren says he's met with the governors of Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah. The Navajo Nation is located in the three states. He's also met with U.S. lawmakers and made his first official visit to Washington, D.C., where he attended President Biden's State of the Union. Those helping him lead the Navajo Nation in his administration are a number of Navajo women, including his vice president, Veterans Affairs Director, and Chief Legal Counsel. Vice President Rochelle Montoya made history in January, becoming the first Navajo woman Women to serve in the position.
5: I think it's just my belief in, in just making sure the best people are in place. And
0: at this moment in time, those types of people are in those positions.
1: The Navajo Nation Council this year also inaugurated a historic number of women, nine of 24 delegates. Nigren says he's working closely with the council to address many of the issues facing the tribe, from making sure federal COVID-19 recovery funds are spent to tackling infrastructure needs. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
0: National Native News is produced by Kawanak Broadcast Corporation
4: with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Support from the Self-Governance Communication and Education Tribal Consortium presenting the 2023 Tribal Self-Governance Conference at the River Spirit Resort starting June 26th. Early bird registration closes February 25th at tribalselfgov.org.
6: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.
0: This is Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. A traveling show that is billed as the largest exhibition of contemporary Indigenous beadwork just opened in Ontario, Canada. The Radical Stitch exhibit brings together 35 beaters encompassing a vast geographical area to showcase innovations in design, color, and form. At the same time, the featured pieces keep a tie to traditional tribal beadwork through the ages. The exhibit also provides opportunities to check in with other beaters both established and up and coming, on their views on the future of beading and the role the craft plays in their lives. Today on our show, we'll talk with artists and curators involved in the Radical Stitch exhibition. We'll also hear from other bead artists about their craft. And of course, we wanna hear from you. What beading project are you working on right now? Our number to join our conversation, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're filling our hour with as many talented bead artists as possible, so we're asking our listeners to post some of their bead work on today's social media. Please share some of your favorite pieces on either our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. Our Twitter handle is one eight zero zero nine nine native We hope to see your work there. Joining us now is Kathy Mattis, a curator, writer, and associate professor in art history at the University of Winnipeg. She is Michif. Kathy, welcome to Native America Calling.
7: Uh, Tanchi, thank you so much, Sean, for inviting us.
0: You bet. Also joining us is Sherry Farrell-Russet. She is a scholar, author, curator, and artist. She is Métis Algonquin and a member of the Tamiskaming First Nation in Quebec. Sherry, welcome to Native America Calling as well. Hi there. And also joining us is Nico Williams in Hoshilega, Montreal. He is an artist. He is Nishinabe. Nico, you've been here before. Welcome back to Native America Calling.
3: Anin and uh, big miigwech for uh, reaching out for this wonderful uh, topic this afternoon.
0: Absolutely. Now, I know you folks are all very involved in the Radical Stitch exhibition. So, Kathy, I'd like to go ahead and start with you and just tell us, how did this big exhibition come together, Radical Stitch?
7: Um, thanks so much for the question, Sean. So it came together, the Mackenzie Art Gallery, which is out of Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, Michelle Lavallee was the former in-house curator. Uh, she put it on the books and then she um, moved for other employment opportunities. Um, and the McKenzie came up with a great idea to invite Sherry, Michelle and I to come together and curate a very large exhibition uh, that uh, will tour to different locations. It all happened during COVID, so uh, the way that we curated was a little bit different. (laughs) Uh, But uh, we were able to travel to Santa Fe and uh, to do a bit of collection visits, uh, and a lot of it was just seeing what artists were doing in other ways. Um, so when it was first shown, there were forty-eight artists included, and now for the tour, uh, where it is at the Hamilton Art Gallery, uh, there's thirty-five artists featured from across Turtle Island.
0: Sounds like it took a few years to get this whole project together. Then
7: it it did. It was postponed because of COVID nineteen, uh, but um, we uh, we were able to. We did lots of our know, creating an archive of how many. Uh, indigenous contemporary artists were out there, we really just skimmed the surface and then we went through a process of uh, selecting artists. Uh, the artists we chose are phenomenal. There are many others who are equally phenomenal, uh, but we we were told we had to make a selection, so we, we did that, and uh, we're happy that we were able to uh, see what incredible work that contemporary beadwork artists are doing across Turtle Island.
0: And Sherry, I, I want to ask you, the name Radical Stitch, where did it come from?
8: Um, I think maybe I came up with it, um, <laughs> but I we were just thinking that, well, it was the same, I think it was the same in the U.S., but in Canada, there was actually uh, the the Indian Act banned and outlawed many cultural expressions, including religion, dance, even public appearances in traditional clothing. So along with that then came this suppression of actually making traditional arts. It was really actively suppressed until 1951. So, you know, picking up the needle was a radical act, continuing to bead in the face of all kinds of pressure to either not do it at all. Or only do it for tourist production. The other reason that you know we think that it's radical is that, especially, it's hard to talk about it not being in the exhibition. But many of the works are created for love. Mm-hmm. You know, cradle boards. Uh, we have many works that are expressing and working through grief and loss. So there are works that are created in memoriam. Uh, there are uh, works that are created kind of to acknowledge the importance of a person. So there's a lot of radical love. When you think of how we dressed ourselves, how we dressed our children, that was radical love.
0: And that's important to note that um, these works of love and, and in some cases grief or loss because beating is so much more than decoration for so many tribes. So tell us more about you know, these elements that you had to consider going into this? And and, and what did you really want to convey to the viewers that go to see this exhibit?
8: Well, I think the one thing that we were really going for was awe. Because for those of us in community, we know the quality of the work that's being done, both by grassroots beaters and beaters that are also taking it into the fine arts and fashion realm. So one of the things that we thought is, well, we have to have the GOATs. So Jamie Okuma, Terry Greaves, you know, the people who really started doing it in a different way that caught people's attention. And then on the Canadian side, that's Barry Ace and Ruth Cuthand. So we, we started looking for, for them. And then when we went down to Santa Fe, we were like literally taking notes. We were there at 6.30 in the morning with our Starbucks coffee, um, just ready to take a look at all those amazing beaters. The challenge has been uh, to find the works, because we wanted really, really strong works. And so, you know, you've got the artist, you know what work you want, where the heck is that piece? And so there was a lot of detective work of trying to track down where this amazing piece that an artist created, where is it now? And so that was uh, that was a fun part. Um, and also, we we're looking... At Technical Excellence, so that was one of the things that we wanted to create an exhibition that would inspire beaters. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of works that are just a technical level, and the risks that people took, the scope of the work, um, it's just something that's really inspiring.
0: Now, about how many pieces are part of the exhibit?
8: Oh, you know, I should know that because I just installed them. I know in uh, Regina, it was over 100. Okay. So I think maybe now we've got 80, maybe? Because there's 35 artists, but the artists have more than one work in the show. Okay. So there's uh, artists have between two to three pieces in the show. So, and let's yeah, talk about
0: that. that a little bit, the <laughs> two different shows, because the, the, the exhibition started in, in Saskatchewan about a year ago, and now it's in Ontario for how long?
8: It's in Ontario until May. So it's in hamilton at the hamilton art gallery until may
0: okay and then where does it go from from ontario from hamilton
8: from there it goes to thunder bay also still in ontario
0: gotcha gotcha okay well kathy i want to go back to you and um you know know, as sherry explained you know so you know the, the goats right some of the the really highly prolific bead artists both in the U.S. and Canada, technical excellence, and are there also uh, a wide variety of both regional and tribal design elements included in the exhibition for folks that just are interested in, in seeing a wide assortment of beadwork?
7: I, yes, I would say that there that there are. Um, and we weren't necessarily trying to present a survey geographically or, or with particular nations or tribes, but... As certainly, um, there are artists who are Anishinaabe, like Aniko, there's Métis artists, Dene, um, there's um, different artists coming from, this, uh, from the States as well, as uh, Sherry just mentioned. So there is a variety of beadwork artists from, from nations across Turtle Island, which is just incredible uh, to see. and. Some of the work that they do definitely um, for those really immersed in particular styles of beadwork, uh, they can see that present within some of the artwork. Then there's artists as well who the, the beadwork designs that they work with, um, they're using video or the digital photography-based work as well. So beadwork and the importance of beadwork is featured in a variety of ways, but certainly uh, it is emblematic of the cultural backgrounds of the artists included.
0: And Kathy, where can our listeners go to learn more about the exhibition? And is are any of these uh, these pieces of art available to see online, or does somebody have to travel up to, to Ontario or any part of Canada to check it out?
7: Um, there are, uh, right now, the Art Gallery of Hamilton has information with images of a section of the artists included, as well as the names of all the artists in the show. And then the Mackenzie Art Gallery also on their website has a lot of information with great images of artwork and a bit of uh, biographical information on some of the artists. So I encourage everyone to go and check out those two websites. Uh, If you're around Hamilton, there's going to be different sorts of programming uh, while the exhibition is up until the end of May. Uh, And some of it is in partnership with uh the woodland cultural center and uh i'm really excited i hope i get to go back there and and participate in some of the programming because they have some great plans and ideas up there up their sleeves there
0: okay it's called radical stitch it's the largest exhibition of contemporary indigenous beadwork it just opened in hamilton ontario it's going to be there for the next two months and uh, when we come back from break we're going to talk to one of the featured artists nico williams he is anishinaabe anybody who would like to share some of their beadwork we'd really like to know what you're working on right now take some pictures put them up on our social we want to check them out okay or give us a call 1-800-996-2848 tell us what you love about beadwork we'll be right back The success, opportunities, and challenges of the coming year are presented in the annual address by the National Congress of American Indians. We'll hear President Fawn Sharp's State of Indian Nations address and the congressional response on the next Native America Calling.
4: Think teeth. Medicaid and CHIP
3: cover many children's dental services, including teeth cleanings, fluoride treatments, and fillings. For more information about children's dental health, contact your Indian health care provider, visit insurekidsnow.gov, or call 877-543-7669. A message from the Centers for
4: Medicare and Medicaid Services.
0: Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're speaking with bead artists today about innovative and contemporary beadwork while also staying grounded in tradition. Join the conversation by calling in 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Also, please post your beadwork under today's social media post. We can be found on all platforms. Nico Williams is Anishinaabe. He's up in Montreal, Canada, and he is one of the featured artists in Radical Stitch. Nico, tell us about your artwork there in the exhibition, and uh, what does it mean to you to be part of this big, big project?
3: Oh, well, you know, the curators have selected, like, such a wonderful um, array of work, and, you know, um, I think it just, begins with like the material um, for all of us because they have some of like the earliest work that I've, I've done and then they have some of like the new recent work and like I think it like begins with like walking into my first bead store in like 2014 and I ended up buying like all these sparkling beads and I did not know how to work with it yet but like I had faith like from the creators like show me how to use these and you know I would figure out a way to incorporate them into my practice. And, you know, I think that's like the best part of it. And like getting to share, um, even during workshops, the the ways and techniques and see how people really continue to carry on, uh, you know, this revitalization of beadwork practice right now. And it's such great um, experience to have this att- like attention for. Uh, work like this. I think it's been uh, much needed and it's taken, you know, quite some time for people to actually, uh, you know, start looking at it like this. And that's why it feels so great to be a part of this exhibition with the, these wonderful curators.
0: Okay. Now, 2014, that was less than 10 years ago. So about how long did it take you, Nico, from, from just starting out to getting to the point where, where you were able to, to do show quality beadwork?
3: well you know it it took um a lot of work like i was in like boutiques in the beginning you know and like the museums where uh they'd have sort of like the indigenous like craft section there and i'd like be busting my butt off like working on those creations you uh-huh. know and then, like busting my butt off to make it perfect you know something that you know my aunties or my my granny would be like yeah that that's a good piece you know and you know it took a lot of time uh, and patience to get there and I think we made a made like I made a major work uh, during 2014 um, and then I started to like have uh, these dreams of things that I had to bead and from there I was like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna bead that <laughs> you know and I think you know we all have this like um, attraction to the the satisfying uh, shiny and bright quality that beads have and I think you know our ancestors were looking at that material as a very special thing and I was also told uh, that we have this like attraction to shiny things and it's all in our connection for our need for water like our like sort of our deep ancestral roots are attracted to things that were looking for survival needs, like finding water. So I found that very um, interesting to think about shiny glass beads and, you know, that connection to water and, like, figuring out ways to tell stories with it.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, that connection uh, to water. I'd never heard it expressed that way. It's really cool. Now, Nico, there are so many really talented bead artists uh, in so many different tribal nations, the US and Canada, of course, and I always wonder, like, what is it that, you know, makes a piece really unique to an artist? And how about for you? Like, what is it about your beadwork that just makes it identifiably your piece? What's different about it than anybody else?
3: Well, I think um, there's like a consistency in my practice, which there's like a development and there's a research behind it where I'm really focusing on capturing textures, surfaces and patterns of like everyday objects. And you know, a lot of them, they come off as playful and shining and beautiful at first um it has sort of like a nostalgic res yet urban quality that sometimes like touches on our multi-layered sort of teachings and experiences you know i'll be beating like for instance something like a craft dinner box i find out on the street and you know it's exploring like you know how the indigenous old growth foliage has been cleared from the land uh to make way for like you know the commodity zizations like of our lands with like art like the agriculture like wheat and you know putting livestock there all to activate those products you know so when I'm beating something that you know first comes off as like playful and beautiful there's also like you know looking at our resources and thinking about products you know in our (laughs) urban metropolises and thinking of you know feeding lower income populations you know and just like going back to those nostalgias, it was so funny because I was like the art talk. I was like, "Yeah, I'm beating all this stuff," you know. And you know, a lot of it is like you know objects I find discarded on the road. But there's like a an indigenous talk there to have like a conversation uh, with like diasporic, um, you know, populations because they're all here on Turtle Island, and we have to keep those conversations going.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I, I've seen some of your work online, and I really like what you do with geometrical shapes, uh, the different, you know, the, the octagons and, and the uh, tetrahedrons, and <laughs> I can't remember my geometry. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. been a few years since oh, yeah, high school geometry, too. but that's really cool. <laughs> oh,
3: absolutely, like that's the best, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like the whole math component is something that's really unique as well. well uh, Nico, thank you so much for joining us today and, and telling us more uh, about your your beadwork journey as well as how you're participating in the Radical Stitch exhibition. And where can our, our listeners go to, to see more of your work and, and learn more about you?
3: Uh, NicoWilliams.com, but my, um, my Instagram's easier, uh, Damon, which is uh, the O silent, but I'll spell it. It's like at O-D-E-H-M-I-N. And that's my Instagram, uh, handle, but it's pronounced, uh, Damon. And it actually means heartberry.
0: Got it. Got it. Well, Nico, thank you again for joining us. Uh, that is Nico Williams. He's a Anishinaabe bead artist. Joining us now from Crow agency in Montana is Brocade Stops Black Eagle. She is a bead artist. She is Crow and Mandan Hidatsa. Brocade, welcome to the show.
5: Thank you for having me today.
0: Absolutely. Now, Brooke, tell us more about your journey as a bead artist. I know that uh, you are a registered nurse, and and when did you get really heavily involved in doing your beadwork as well?
5: Okay, so my beadwork journey started um, as a child. During the summers, I would go stay with my grandmother, and you know she beaded all the time. You know, here in our culture. Beadwork is all over. Everyone beads. So that was my first exposure, like um, watching watching her how to bead. And then my sister wanted to uh, dance and parade, and so my mother got us going. And so we asked, we, and we started out with no beadwork whatsoever. So we asked, you know, my grandmother, other people in the community, how to bead. The outfits, how to beat the horse gear, and so it just started from there, and we have been beating ever since, and it's been 30 years now that I have been beating. <laughs> so Thirty started years. Started with um, 30 years, yes. I turned 40 this past year, and then I look back, I was like, it was 10, like I started around when I was 10 years old. So I've been working on it for 30 years, um, and I also used it while I was in college, you know, to hustle up some money during. Like the winter breaks. So I would beat um, jewelry, little hair ties, and I'd go around and hustle some money so I'd have some spending money when I went back to college. And then I came home, and then I've always beaded, and I started my family. I made cradle boards for all three of my boys and got a picture taken by the time they were six months. It's just been a really awesome journey. Um, and I'm just inspired by all the great beaters all over the place. And so I worked as an RN for 13 years ha- here at the Crow Norshein Hospital. And my husband, three years ago, recently got a job where I was able to take a break from nursing and really pursue my beading career. And so, um, and so, what I've done with it is my beadwork that I've done. I've taken it and put it on ready wear clothing. And so I'm going more into the fashion world also. And I've been in some fashion shows. I have some fashion shows coming up. So beaver has been really, really um, therapeutic also. Uh, Six years ago, I lost my mother to cancer. And then six months after she passed away, I lost my sister in a car wreck. And so the only thing that got me out of bed was beating. So it's just, it's really helped me with my grieving process. And even like last Curl Fair, me and my mother were working on my parade gear. It's called an old time saddle and we never finished it. She passed away before we could finish it. And so this past Curl Fair, I was finally able to finish all the pieces and it was just, it was was really awesome. And I got to parade and it was just a really beautiful moment. So. For me, beating is
0: everything i just i love it I love beating well broque condolences to you and your family uh for for those losses that you described but it it's so inspiring to hear that um beating is something that that got you through those tough times and continues to to be an inspiration in your life and Tell us a little bit more, brocade about your style i mean is it is it based heavily on like traditional crow beating or do you uh, incorporate some of the more contemporary influences kind of how, how do you go about designing your pieces and, and then to go about creating them
5: okay yes i love the old curl geometric designs oh, i get so inspired by pictures um beaver locally um museums oh, i just love it i loved um i love the patterns they use and the colors they use. And so with Oak Design, you can really distinguish it by, they usually outline it in white or navy blue. And I've also seen like that kind of deep green forest color in older beadwork. Um, And there's certain colors that they use. And I think has, with my beadwork, uh, people have told me that they're able to distinguish it by the colors that I work with. So I think there are certain colors that I use and I really like to, um, especially use like two dark colors and two light colors. And I feel like it really makes the design uh, pop. So,
0: yeah,
5: I like the contrast and it really makes the design come out. So those are my, and I do do floral. I do dabble in it. Um, and I, I, I love trying to work on something new.
0: Now you've shared some of the pieces that you've made. Tell us about some other, like some of your very favorite pieces that you've made over the years, and like about how long it takes to make a a really cherished piece like that.
5: Okay, so what I love reading is the cradle board. The cradleboard, board, oh, I just love it because there's so many different pieces, and you, as being the artist and the designer, you can do whatever you want. You know, you can mix up flowers, you can do the geometrical crow designs, and you can put them any way you want and then also the pieces are easier to handle while you're beading also and I I know I get that question all the time how long has did this take you to beat and so I'm actually working on that currently I'm making a cradle board, and I'm actually um, writing down the times that I'm working on it so I can actually get back to you on that later (laughs) (laughs) but I did do like a fully beaded vest for my husband and I would work on it from sunup to sundown, and it took me about a month. About so I month. do know, yes, about a month I did that for my husband. We were on a time crunch, and I had to get it done. And I got it done the day before we left.
0: <laughs> and let me ask you, I mean, do you have a, a special place in the house? Do you have a special room, a little shop? Are you there in the kitchen? How much of your, of your living space is dedicated to all of your supplies, <laughs> all of your equipment? <sighs>
5: I know I feel really bad about my house I'm an artist and I am my I have beads all over and I kind of it varies for sure I have a spot on the couch where I have my lamp really well-lit lamp and then I have my tv in front of me and I have all my favorite movies and shows that I watch while I'm beading (laughs) so I have like needles on the couch and beads on the couch and I, I would say that was my most favorite place to be right now, and sometimes it changes, like I'll rearrange my living room and then I'll change to a different couch, but usually it's a couch
0: that I love sitting in. Be comfortable, right? Just get yeah natural I love, space. Yes, <laughs> yep, yep. Absolutely. We've got a ca- uh, caller listening right now up in Warm Springs, Oregon, station KWSO, Arlen. Hello, Arlen. Well, hello
9: there.
0: Hi, how are you doing? Are you uh, are you a beadwork artist?
9: Yes, uh, I'm a member of the Confederate Tribes of Warm Springs in Oregon. I'm a master beadwork artist that I specialize in the Plateau Columbia River Tribes, our ancient saddle, which is a dying art. And I make all the beadwork trappings to go with, along with uh, the regalia. And I teach art across the Western states, and... I uh, begin with family history, discussing the color colors of the family, the design and the meeting of of all of our beadwork and and then then we go into the, the design phase and it's it's a um very uh it, it's like a college class basically <laughs> from Sounds start to like... finish. Uh in... And, and uh, it, it's a it's a full-time business, and I thoroughly enjoy it.
0: How long have you been doing uh, beadwork, Arlen and teaching it?
9: Well, I started as a child. My grandmother would um, show me how to string a necklace from um, threading the needle to tying the knot, the entire process. And I just sat and watched and learned. And uh, the more that I, I watched, I got to... Uh, Listen to my grandmother explain things like the edging on our beadwork is um, has equal color scheme. It means equality among, among all living beings in the universe. That's the plateau style of the edging that you see. And if you talk to us, you'll you'll understand. But if you look at it, you wouldn't really figure that out on your own. And so I listened to my grandmother explain such teachings about. Our style of beadwork, and my first little, little tiny bag I made uh, in our way of life, we had that we made to another person, and I gifted it to my grandmother, and I've been teaching classes uh, ever since I think I, I was trying to make
0: college... Okay. Arlen, I'm sorry, we're gonna have to take a break Arlene, but thank you so much for calling it and please please do us a favor and post some pictures for us on social media we would love to see more of your work online that's Arlen calling up from warm springs Oregon. And uh, we are going to have to take another break here, but again, we really want to hear from more Bead artists today we're talking with brocade brocade stops black eagle and we'll be right back.
4: Support from the Self-Governance, Communication, and Education Tribal Consortium, presenting the 2023 Tribal Self-Governance Conference at the River Spirit Resort in Tulsa, Oklahoma, June 26th to the 29th. Learn how tribes are using self-governance for the delivery of programs and services for their citizens and communities, and how this authority improves the health and well-being of tribal communities. Early bird registration closes February 25th at tribalselfgov.org.
0: You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're wrapping up today's conversation with bead artists, but there's still time to comment or ask a question. Our number 1-800-996-2848. Brocade Stops Black Eagle is one of our featured bead artists today on the show. She's up in Crow Agency, Montana. Brocade, we do want to introduce a couple more guests, but before we do, how can our listeners see more of your beadwork and learn more about you?
5: Yes, so I do have a website. It is www.brocadesdesigns.com, and then also i have a facebook page which is brocade and then my instagram is stops underscore the underscore black eagle so i i do feature a lot of my beadwork on there i want to have um just my projects that i'm working on just to inspire people to bead more because that's what i really want i really love seeing people Beading and sharing their beadwork because I think, as far as me, for me being a beading artist, uh, it has been a very th- therapeutic and it has
0: helped me in every way
5: of my life. And so I really like to share those with other people and I love it when people share with
0: me also. So all right well thank you again for joining us brocade and uh i want to introduce our next two guests joining us from billings montana is Tally monto she is a bead artist she is hunkpati dakota oyate and chippewa cree Tally, welcome to native america calling
10: hello i hope everyone's having a good day
0: and also joining us in santa fe new mexico is hollis Cheeto. he is an artist he is this Pueblo. Laguna Pueblo, and Mississippi Choctaw. Hollis, welcome to Native American Hi. Calling as well. Thank you. You bet, you bet. Tally, I, I want to start with you. Uh, when did you first get involved with doing traditional beading?
10: Um, I started when I was about nine. I got sent to boarding school, and it, you know, um, to keep my mind busy and and off of, from things going on at home and, and having to be sent away at such a young age, um, they offered beadwork classes at, at the boarding school that I went to, so I got into it. And um, you know, some of our teachers were from the community there, um, where the boarding school is at. So I got into it, and um, as a young teenager, I wanted to dance in the powwow scene. And my family couldn't afford the materials and things like that, so I taught myself, studied, did research, made my own regalia, and. Um, Similar to other stories, I went off to college, and it was kind of um, my extra money, you know, if I needed anything. Um, I became a a single mother while I was in college, so every time I needed Pampers formula, anything like that, I beat something up or quail something up and sell it. And then just over the years, as I got into my career, I would just do things for family, um, regalia for my children, and then I really did start getting into where I I realized it can be a business until probably during the pandemic, trying to, you know, I lost my grandmother to COVID and I had to deal with the grief somehow and beating brought me back to that place where, you know, my grandmother was my inspiration. She always wore these beautiful sets, earrings, necklace, bracelet, rings, and they all um, really went together. So I was like, you know, she was my inspiration and, to me, um, these last couple years, that's when I really kind of got back into my creativity and my designs and start. Um, if you go on my Instagram page, you know most of my my beadwork that I do now, the contemporary part of it is wearable art. I cater to a certain audience, mostly women. And then um, my traditional stuff, I, I kind of keep on the back burner. I do them for custom orders for family or friends. Um, and I try to stick to those traditional designs when i'm doing my custom orders versus mm-hmm. my when i'm doing my my money making part with with the wearable art i kind of keep my designs more contemporary the materials more contemporary things like that
0: what sells right mm-hmm okay yeah, um, sounds interesting Really how uh, Hollis, i want to ask you a question because um you're pueblo and you're also choctaw so you have the Southwestern lineage and then also the Southeastern lineage. And those are two uh, really, really awesome native cultures, but they're also very different in, in terms of history, in terms of the culture. So are, are you able to draw from both those sides of of, um, of your native lineage, your Pueblo side and your Choctaw side, when you do your beadwork?
6: Yeah, I've done um, different pieces that are um, distinct, distinctly Pueblo and distinctly Choctaw. Um, a lot of the time I just kind of bead what I, feel like beating <laughs> um I do a lot more um kind of the contemporary style beadwork so none of it is too um too traditional for like what I do mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I just started learning a traditional Choctaw style stitch um that's really fun and kind of difficult to do because it's kind of different than what I've done before, but yeah I um I definitely have a lot of well, um, I have a deep well to to take from, especially growing up in kind of like an art community and being exposed to um, not not just like native art, but like just art in general.
0: Now, do you have somebody in your life or somebody who was like a a mentor to you with your beadwork, somebody who really kind of helped you get your style and get your technique down?
6: Um, Yeah. I grew up, um, my dad is a is an artist, and so we would go to art shows ever since I was young. So I would just, like, gravitate to all the beadworkers. Um, I would go to Ken Williams. He's uh, my brother. He's here in Santa Fe, and he's really an amazing beadworker. Jamie Okuma really helped me uh, at the beginning. Um, yeah, there's uh, quite a few artists that uh, helped me along the way
0: let's go back to the phones we have shell listening on station kisu up in fort hall idaho shell it's been a while since you've been a caller how you doing you
8: yeah it's sean good morning sean i'm doing fine yeah
0: good you know
8: like shell. when i look at yeah when i look at those old photographs you know like that they're they're clothing or their outfits were uh, was like a high honor. It's almost like a tuxedo with a high honor. And to make something like that, you would have to know your math, you know. You'd have to know mathematics to count your beads and how many would go there. Before my mother passed away, she taught me how to do beadwork. And, you know, I found out, you know, that's really a skill, and you can really put your imagination
6: into it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, Shell. And and, and you make a really good point. And in, in our Earlier guest, Nico Williams, uh, you know, incorporates a lot of these geometric designs and shapes in his beadwork. And Tally, I want to ask you about that because Shell comments that, um, you know, it's it's a math skill. You have to be able to count your rows and, and know how many beads are going to be required for some of these designs and space them just right. And you learned, uh, you first started doing beadwork there in school. And is that something that's kind of part of part of your your knowledge and your skill is just knowing some of those mathematical components, the angles and other things like that to make your pieces just right?
10: Yes, absolutely. My, my vital tools are my ruler and my pencil and my graph paper. You know, I have these designs in my head or if I'm doing a traditional design, I go back and I research and then I am one of um, artists that was taught that way. I, I do my math first, draw my designs out, get into my color theory and then um, before I even start beading, you know, it's just a process. Light my sage first, get all my materials out. But that's just one thing I have to do because of the way I learned. I have to get my designs out. And a lot of it is drawing and erasing because everything has to be so symmetrical. I think in all Indigenous cultures across the U.S. and internationally, there is symmetry that is involved in that. And people don't understand that, that there is a lot of math. And our ancestors didn't have rulers and pencils and things like that. So to me, when I'm beading, that's kind of my tie to my ancestors too. Like, wow, you know, just when you're problem solving, if certain beads don't line up and it's just heartbreaking when you have to take it out, but you have to keep them components, them traditional components, in your contemporary um, designs as well. So I really try to keep that in mind when I'm doing pieces.
0: Okay. And Hollis, um, what happens when you make a mistake? Like you're, you're really into a piece and then you realize an angle's wrong or something like that. How, how much work does it take to rectify some of those little challenges that come along? Oh
6: yeah, I totally rip it out. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the cool thing about beadwork is, I always say that you can reuse the beads um, it's not like painting where you have to kind of just count the paint as a loss. You, I use my exacto knife a lot. Um, <laughs> it's pretty, it's just like taking out all the threads. Um, I'm kind of a, a perfectionist in that way. So I, as much as I want to be kind of a organic go with the flow, like this is what the beads want to do, a lot of the time I take it out and start again, Um yeah, a lot of my pieces I've started maybe two or three times until I'm really fine with how it's going. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit hard to kind of uh, go along with that because beads are kind of, they're more of an, not organic, but organic feeling kind of imperfect sort of medium. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I know uh, Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland. she wore some of your beadwork in a, in a recent photo shoot for InStyle magazine. Tell us about that piece she wore.
6: Yeah, she did. Um, she wore a bandolier bag. Um, it's kind of going back to what you were saying before. Um, I did that in order to do something more aligned with my Mississippi Choctaw roots. And that, the, name, the title of that bag is uh, Numpa" in my accent. And I made that bag with the understanding of, at the time I was, I'm starting to learn Choctaw, which is my dad's first language. Um, And I am such a linguistics nerd that I was reading this article that said that if you learn a language after nine years old, you're always going to have your first accent in that language. Um, Just the way that your mouth and your ear develops. So I thought about how going back to, it's my traditional language, but I'm going to have my own accent in it. So I wanted to do kind of a traditional bandolier bag with my kind of take on it. So those are my florals and my kind of fill and the treatment of the, the bag itself, the, the closure, closure, is more my style but it's recognizably Choctaw, which I hope one day to get, get there in my language. Um, but yeah, that was one of the largest, uh, pieces that I've finished. Um, and it's definitely in the new upswing of me putting more meaning into my work.
0: Okay. And where can our listeners go to see more of your work, Hollis?
6: Um, I am so lazy. I just have an Instagram. (laughs) It's H Chitto, H C H I T T O.
0: Okay. Now, Tally, I I know you mentioned an Instagram as well. Can you give us more details on where our listeners can see your beadwork?
10: Yeah, sure. I have a full-time job, so I'm like the other artists. I don't. I just have an Instagram and a Facebook. So my Instagram is at Tails T A L Z T A L E Z, and then my Facebook is Tally Manto.
0: Okay. All righty. Um, I want to go to Brocade, and, and Brocade, what, what tips do you have for anybody who wants to just start beating? You know, someone like myself, somebody middle-aged, you just, because I've always kind of wanted to try it. It looks so cool, and I especially like like the sports medallions and things like that. Where does somebody start?
7: So, first,
5: I would definitely understand that it will build your patience. <laughs> in your first starting you are going to break needles you're going to break threads and you're just going to put down your beadwork and walk away maybe even throw it so definitely it's a beginning process and you're going to build your patience but i would definitely look at what you want to bead and then look at pictures ask somebody how to bead it like i have people asking me all the time like i really want to make a cradle board so i've had some classes where they can come in And look at my cradle boards, ask me questions, and I can share with them how I was taught to bead a cradle board. Because everyone has their own different styles. People bead on different, you know, canvases, leather, you know, buckskin. Mm -hmm. They all do it different, but I just show them how I do it. So I would definitely just just ask somebody and ask them how to show you how to bead.
0: And yeah, and I would just start. All right. Well, I think I need to do that then. I need to get after it. And Tally, let me ask, I mean, is it expensive? Is, is, there a, is Does it cost a lot of money to get started beating, or can I do it on a budget?
10: Um, You could probably do it on the budget. I like really pretty, shiny things. So my materials that I use are, are kind of more expensive. But I think nowadays um, people, even artists like me, were more willing to, uh, were generous. You know, that's just in our nature. So if somebody wants to start and they don't have materials. I'm like, hey, you know, if you need some, come look through my stuff, take what you need. I'm all for helping other Indigenous artists out, you know, because how else are they not going to get started? So if I can help someone in any way, start beading. Like Brocade said, you know, just pick up that needle and, and start. And if they need a little helping hand, I'm all for helping, But if you go online there's wholesale places like that beads are getting pretty expensive um all my extra money goes to beads i walk in a bead store and it's like heaven but (laughs) of course you do have budgets and stuff like that but just ask around there's people in your communities that will definitely help and teach if you don't know anything you know just as long as you have that desire and that passion to start because we, that's why we do it. I think that's why I do it because I want the younger generations to keep this form of artwork going. And it is artwork. A lot of people, I think when I was first starting out as a beadwork artist, I didn't call myself an artist. I just did it, you know, but now that it's becoming uh, more on an international platform and and we're teaching it more in our communities and it's becoming a lost art. Um, I think the more Spaces we offer for indigenous artists. I don't care if someone does the same beadwork as me. That's fine. I'm all for it. I, I welcome it. It's not competition to me because the more spaces we create for indigenous artists, it's less space for indigenous artists to sell products saying that it's beadwork, you know? So that's kind of my philosophy behind it.
0: Folks, we are going to have to wrap up the show now. But before we do, big thanks to our guest today, Kathy Mattis, Sherry Farrell. Russet, Nico Williams, Brocade Stops Black Eagle, Tally Monto, and Hollis Cheeto. Join us again tomorrow for the National Congress of American Indians State of Indian Nations Address. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening. Program support by
4: Amerind. For 35 years, Indian country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, Protecting tribal sovereignty and keeping dollars in Indian country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Support by the American Indian College Fund. The American Indian College Fund provides millions of dollars of scholarships to thousands of Native students every year. Tribal citizens of every age and experience are eligible. The deadline for applications is May 31st, and you can find everything you need to apply at collegefund.org. That's collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Education is the answer.